I've always been a big fan. I've always been fascinated with uh, famous, famous last words and the ways in which we uh, memorialize ourselves on grave markers or other important places in our lives. Uh, the past couple of weeks I compiled a, a short list of some of my favorites, and here they are for you this morning. Karl Marx's last words were, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. John Adams, who's one of my favorite presidents, his last words were, anyone remember? Thomas Jefferson survives. Beethoven, his last words were, I will hear in heaven. John Wesley, the great evangelist and founder of Methodism, said, best of all, God is with us. Apparently, the actress Joan Crawford's last words were, were more of a command to her housekeeper who was stationed near her bed praying for her as she died. Crawford yelled to her, don't you dare ask God to help me. Thomas Jefferson, on the monument that marks his grave at Monticello, had this written, author of the Declaration of American Independence, of the Statute of Virginia for Religious Freedom, and the father of the University of Virginia. And then a few months ago, Catherine and I were walking around uh, Marjorie Merriweather Post-Hillwood Estate, and on the obelisk marking the grave outside of her beautiful house are these words, all my hope rests in me. You can learn a lot about a person, what they thought about themselves, what they hoped others would remember, or what they thought uh, the future would be like by their, by their last words. In a way, what we're, what we're hearing today in Matthew's gospel account are some of Jesus' last words. At, at the very least, these are the last words of the church year as this Sunday marks the final week before we start all over again uh, with Advent next week. The church has structured the lectionary in such a way that, that these are Jesus' last words to us this year. There are no parallels in any of the other gospel accounts to what Matthew gives us today. In this, in this passage, we uncover Jesus' last words and the last of his, his five discourses, the, the last words of his teaching ministry right before he is to be arrested and crucified. That's what happens next in the story in Matthew's gospel account. And it seems to be the the culmination, the climax of a theme that Jesus has emphasized repeatedly in the 25th chapter of Matthew, and the theme is watchfulness. We heard that theme, we heard about it in two very pointed parables these past two Sundays. Two Sundays ago, we heard the parable of the, the wise and the foolish bridesmaids, and then last week we heard the parable of the talents. Be, be alert, be awake. Be ready, Jesus has been saying to us over and over again. But it's, it's more than just being awake for being awake's sake. Jesus has been talking to us about, about being awake to opportunity. There was a story that came out about 10 years ago that involved the world-renowned violinist Joshua Bell. Uh, in 2007, Bell put on a Washington Nationals baseball hat, a long-sleeve t-shirt, jeans, and he positioned himself against a wall and next to a, a trash bin at the L'Enfant Metro stop here in, in Washington, D.C. And he, he stood there that morning. Do you all remember this story? He stood there that morning playing the violin during the, during the morning rush hour. There's a great time-lapse video online if you're interested in going to see uh, what happened that day. But, but he started playing it at 7.51 a.m. He played six classical pieces over the course of about 47 minutes. And during that time, there's a little counter. During that time, 1,097 people passed by on their way to work, and only seven people stopped to listen to him. 
of those seven, only one person, only one of the 1,097 recognized that it was a a Grammy award-winning musician named Joshua Bell making music that morning. He was playing that morning with a 300-year-old Stradivarius violin that was worth over $3.5 million, and only, only seven people stopped to listen. Are we are we awake to the opportunities? Are we awake to the sorrows and to the joys that are all around us in life? The passage that we hear today is sometimes called the, the final judgment or the last judgment, and in it we hear Jesus painting a, a very vivid picture for us. And it's no wonder that this scene has been imagined by artists in churches and, and now in art galleries all over the world. King Jesus sits on his throne as all things come to an end, and we're told that that like a shepherd, he begins to separate the sheep from the goats. Those who have been conscious, those who have been aware of the needs around them, the sheep in the story, they, we are told, will inherit the kingdom. And those who have chosen not to respond, the goats in the story, they will be sent away. This sheep goat's judgment story that we hear this morning isn't, isn't meant to just be some sort of Christian do-goodism tally sheet. It's not Jesus sort of creating a, a checklist, and once we've ticked all the boxes off, we can go our, our way. It's not Jesus saying to us, have you clothed the, the naked? Well, check that one off. Have you fed the hungry? Check that one off. Have you been kind and welcoming to the stranger? Check, check that off your list. It's not Jesus creating a list like that for us today. All of those things are, are good and important. We should aim to do them uh, over and over again in our lives. But, but what I think this, this story, this passage that we're hearing from Matthew 25 is about is it's about each one of us asking ourselves this question, am I aware of what's happening around me? And then once we ask ourselves that question, the following question we should ask ourselves, we should ask, do do I care about what's happening around me? Do you care? Do, do I care about all that's happening in the world? Am I aware and do I care? In the early church, a few hundred years after, after Christ was on earth, there were Christians who lived out as hermits in the wilderness, committing their lives to, to prayer and to penance and to contemplation. Those desert fathers and mothers, as they would come to be called, began to identify and, and classify certain evil thoughts or evil spirits that they thought all people would fall victim to at various points in their lives. Two, two of those monks, two of those men who were out there in the desert, desert one named Evagrius Ponticus and his student. John Cassian created a list of, of cardinal sins that would later go on to be called what, what we now call the seven deadly sins. You all have heard of this list, I'm sure, before. In that list, those earliest Christians included this, this sin, this word, akadia. Akadia in the Greek or acedia in the Latin. Akadia is a, a word that we've translated as, as sloth. It's sometimes translated as maybe indifference or laziness, but, but the translation of Akadia that I like is, I don't care. I don't care. Kathleen Norris, the contemporary Christian writer in her book Akadia and Me, says that, that this, this sin, this sin of Akadia, is the deadliest of the seven. She says it's the one that we all succumb to the easiest. Most of us are aware of when we are lustful or when we let wrath take control of our lives, but, but she says that we tend to not be too concerned if, if Akadia slips into our daily routine. What's the big deal, we say to ourselves, when we, when we see a need? If, if I don't help, then surely someone else will. 
Akadia, I don't care. This is how the late Fred Craddock, one of the, I think, the finest preachers of the 20th century to find Akadia, he said that, that Akadia is the, the capacity within each one of us to look at a starving child with a, a swollen belly and say, well, it's, it's not my kid. Or to see an old man sitting alone among the pigeons in the park and to say, well, he's not my dad. Craddock says that, that Akadia is when we look upon the world that God made and say, I don't care. That seems to be what, what Jesus is talking about today. Do we care? Do, do you care? Do we, do we care about the hungry, the naked? Do we care about the prisoner, the sick, and the stranger? But it's, it's more than that. It's more than just caring about those, those individuals. It's, it's about looking out at the world around, at what's happening around us and saying, do, do we care about this? Luis last week preached a, a powerful sermon, and he talked about at one point in it the women who are coming forward with stories of, of harassment, sexual harassment. And he, he told us that we need to be aware, that we need to, to believe those brave women who are stepping forward to tell their stories of, of their harassment. We need to to listen carefully to what they have to say so that we can make this country, make this world a better place, not only for them, but for, for all people. Do we care about their stories? It's, it's I think, being aware of the gun violence that's, that's coursing through our country. At our staff meetings each week here at St. John's Church, as, as the staff sits down to discuss what we're going to sing here on Sunday mornings, the readings that we're going to be hearing, we also spend some time going over our prayer list, talking about, thinking about the individuals who are sick, who are suffering, those who might be celebrating birthdays or anniversaries, and then we also turn to looking at what's happening in our city, in our country, and in the world. And, and we've noticed that, that every week when we remove one city, one community that's been affected by a mass shooting, we almost always have to include another community. That's how often gun shootings, mass shootings are occurring, occurring in this country. Do, do we care about that? Do we care that the, the number of refugees that we are able to resettle in this country is, is declining rapidly, as is the funding to settle those who are, who are fleeing persecution and violence? Mark Stevenson, who's the executive director of Episcopal Migration Ministries, will be here next Sunday at the Adult Forum to talk about uh, just those issues and how, how we can be involved in this crisis. Do we care? As we hear some of Jesus' last words on this, this last Sunday of the Christian year, the day that we call Christ the King Sunday, we're being asked to examine our lives, to examine our hearts, to, to ask ourselves whether or not we are awake to all that's happening around us. That's, that's the scene that Jesus paints for us today, where we will all one day come before the King of Kings for final judgment, and, and all that we've done and all that we've left undone will be laid before us. And yet, and yet I don't I don't think that Matthew 25 is, is meant to be some sort of story where we uh, heap guilt upon ourselves. I don't believe that God wants us to walk around feeling eternally guilty. Instead, I, I think this, this last judgment story is an invitation from Jesus. It's an invitation for, for each one of us to be a part, to work for, to build up God's kingdom. It's an invitation for each one of us to ask ourselves, what, what do I really care about in this world? This story, I think, is a reminder that our lives, our lives, your life and my life, all of our lives are connected and that we rely upon each other for help, for hope, and for love. 
not long before the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was was assassinated at the Lorraine Motel in Memphis. He preached a sermon at the, the Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta, and in that sermon he talked about what, what it might mean if Christ is indeed the king of his life. He said that if Christ is the ruler over my life, then my Nobel Peace Prize is less important than my trying to feed the hungry. He said that if Christ is king, then my, my invitations to the White House are less important than that I visited those who are in prison. He said that if, if Christ is Lord, then my being Time Magazine's Man of the Year is, is less important than that I tried to, to love extravagantly, to love dangerously with all of my being. If Christ is, is King of our lives, then the promise that we have is that if we've strived to be awake, if we've worked to be aware, if we've done our very best to care for those around us, strived and, and even failed at times, God isn't asking for us to be perfect or to be successful in everything that we do. God is just asking that we try. Then the promise is that when we each go before the King, when we each go before King Jesus, will hear Him speak these comforting words to each one of us. Come, come and inherit the kingdom. Amen.